Today's uh, scripture reading is Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And when he called to another, he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of all of a, of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. It's good to be back. Um, I, I trust you had a wonderful week. We're going to be um, actually looking at the Lord's Prayer. Um, but before we get there, we're going to review and we want to pray before we do that. So let's pray together. Father, help us send your spirit. Um, I am totally inadequate for the work that needs to be done. So I ask for your help and for the help of those who are listening this morning, that they would truly hear your word and uh, your spirit would be moving in hearts and minds and lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week we saw seven foundations before we get to the Lord's Prayer. We covered quite a bit of ground. The meaning of everything is the glory of God. Um, we saw that from a variety of verses. Um, we saw that the way God glorifies himself is by reconciling the world to himself by King Jesus. And he is in the business of glorifying himself. And uh, the greatest glory of God is the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ in dying for the unworthy and saving them in the midst of our rebellion and sin. Um, Jesus came to carry out God's plan to glorify himself, and it is war. Um, we are not called to a cruise ship. We're on a battleship. Um, we are, uh, we're going to see this morning as um, we look at the Lord's Prayer a little bit more the nature of this warfare. Um, we are called to the same vocation Jesus was called to, um, to uh, seek and save the lost. Jesus says, follow me, be my disciples, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, we see that all through the Gospels and the book of Acts. And actually, I read a biblical theology of mission this week um, by uh, Kostenberger, I think. And um, he shows how um, the whole New Testament and Old Testament focus on the mission of God to glorify himself and that we are called to that mission. The same vocation as God is called to, to glorify himself by proclaiming the glorious name of Jesus everywhere. It's war. It's, it's not easy. Um, we saw also that spiritual birth causes us to pray. We'll be talking about praying, and praying is one of the most natural things those who have been truly converted do. In fact, um, we it's just what we do. We call on the name of the Lord. Um, the Spirit 
um, has been given to us by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And then we found out, and this is, this is super important in John 15, that without prayer, we uh, can do nothing, absolutely nothing of importance. And which means that we cannot glorify God. We cannot do what we are called to do when he saved us um, unless we pray. Without prayer, we can do nothing. We also saw that this impetus for prayer is abiding um, in the word. So there's, uh, there's this thing going on where we, we read the word, we abide in Christ, it abides in us, us. Of course, we ask whatever we wish. And of course, whatever we wish is whatever the son wishes. And we know that his supreme wish is to glorify his father. And so it becomes our supreme goal also to glorify the father. And then we do so by being obedient. So that was just a, a quick um, recap. And now let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. This is from a section that includes um, three spiritual disciplines, fasting, giving of alms, and praying. And it's scarcely uh, easy to talk about prayer without talking about fasting. If um, you're having trouble with your Bible reading or with prayer, uh, try fasting. Uh, of course, talk to your doctor and figure it out and read some good books on fasting. There's many out there. I recommend uh, John Piper's book on fasting. I can't remember the name of it. Probably called Fasting for Fun or something. <laughs> Sounds like John Piper. Fasting, desiring God for your joy by fasting, something like that. Anyway, um, if, if you have trouble, what the, and the reason of fasting and prayer go together is that um, fasting is just, it puts your spiritual life on steroids. And I just, just highly recommend praying and fasting. Got some fantastic stories about uh, some fasting and praying with some of the folks from Taft Avenue in years gone by. But um, we'll start reading here um, with verse five of chapter six. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, which is everybody looks at them and says, what a hypocrite. That's your reward. Um, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Um, there's a little bit of be careful of how long you pray and what you say as you pray. They think they will be heard for their many words. I say pray long in private and short in public. And if your goal in praying privately is to be seen in public, it's, it's not a good thing for your father. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And the first word in this Lord's Prayer is the word our. So at first he says, when you're praying, don't be like the hypocrites on the street corners. And now he tells us to pray together. It seems like a contradiction because we're saying our father. That's just, a, there's an assumption by the term our that we are praying together. And we see the church praying together in the book of Acts. I mean, it's unmistakable that people pray together and that's okay with God. 
And so what must he be saying? He must be saying, when you, when you pray by yourself, and you should, you pray in your closet. You don't pray out in the open to be seen by men because that's not doing you any good. And so we must pray together. He is our Father. We read the Bible together and we pray together. It's just an amazing thought also that he is our Father. He's not a God that is in heaven that we cannot relate to. He is not a deity that is a great mystery to us. We can know who he is. We don't know all of who he is, but what he has revealed about himself in the scripture is truly true. And we can know him truly. We may not be able and we cannot know him fully, but we can know him truly. I hope that makes sense to you. He is our father, which means he cares for us. He loves us. He guides us. He can, is intimate with us. He is close with us. It's a familial, it's a family type word, and he is a merciful father. Now, some of you didn't have a good earthly father, and I have heard some say that my father was such a bad example, I cannot relate to God as my heavenly father. But you need to know that God is primary, and even though your earthly father may have failed and may have failed miserably, he does not set the standard for fatherhood in your life. When you receive Christ as Savior, when you see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in your heart, and at that moment, you know God as your Father. And you must believe by faith what the fatherhood of God is like from the Bible. He has adopted you. He has placed you into his family. And it's by mm -hmm. his choice that he has placed you in his family. And he cares for you. I just, I just want you to, to let that sink in. He loves you. He cares for you. He thinks of you constantly. He loves it when you pray to him. He loves it when you bring your cares to him. He loves to be merciful. In fact, keep your finger there in Matthew 6. We're going to do some Old Testament study here. C.H. Dodd, um, Isaiah 57. A, a fellow named C.S. Dodd um, a while back popularized the idea that the God of the Old Testament Isaiah 57 and verse 15. I can see you're all turning there, except for you that haven't memorized. I, I see you. You're not turning. C.H. <laughs> um, Dodd um, popularized the liberal idea that the God of the Old Testament is fussy and angry, and that he, he finally woke up in the New Testament, and he became merciful, nice God. Um, that is only believed by people who have not read the Old Testament. God is long-suffering and full of mercy and gracious and good, and he has not changed, and he does not change, and he has fully revealed himself perfectly in Christ Jesus. So if you see Christ Jesus as, you know, quote-unquote, more merciful or more gracious, you're missing the boat. Um, 
because he is not more merciful and more gracious. He is merciful and gracious and kind and good and close and familial. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. And we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit. Remember our father who art in heaven. This is the high and lifted up one. He is our father. And here's what he says. Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And I also dwell with him who is trite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is who God dwells with. Those who understand their spiritual, spiritual poverty and who have mourned over their sin and have come to Christ. And that is who he dwells with. He dwells with us to revive us, to revive our spirits and to revive our hearts. He says, I've written in my notes here, Isaiah 66, 2. Isaiah 66, 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. What a great verse. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So you take the word of God and you tremble at the word of God and you are contrite in spirit. And then God comes to you and he comes to you as a father. He comes to you as a father. Um, you remember the um, story of the golden calf in Exodus. God has taken the children of Israel out of Egypt, Isaiah, um, Exodus 33. And um, he's given them the law, and they have, uh, they made the golden calf, and they're worshiping, and Moses comes down, he breaks, you know, and oh, um, breaks the tablets of stone, et cetera, et cetera, the, the story. It's, it's, it's just an absolutely disastrous story. And we're going to start reading with Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So do you, do you see the plan is taking a, taking a turn here. God has brought them out of the land of Egypt, but God says, you know what? You guys are stiff-necked and you're sinners and you made the calf. And, ah, oh, man, if I go with you, I'm just going to burn you up. Look what he says in verse 4. Moses writes this. When the people heard this disastrous word. This disastrous word that God would not go with them, that he would send his angel. Now, maybe sometimes you might think, well, 
the angel of God with me. That sounds pretty good. Disastrous word. They mourned and no one put on his ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stick neff, stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. I would consume you. Disastrous word. Well, of course, the rest of the story is Moses prays and, 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 uh, God relents. I, I want to read you a section um, from a book by Tim Chester. If you ever get a chance to read Tim Chester, I just love the guy. He's, uh, he's, he's Britisher. He's from England. And I don't know if that makes him smarter, but it makes him sound smarter. Although I haven't really ever heard him speak. I've just read his books. And, and he writes, um, I don't remember the name of the book. I, I got it this week and read it. Um, it'll come to me in a second, but he, he has a comment in, in this book. I'm going to read it to you. Um, it's an extraordinary response. He says of Moses, because Mo, Moses, when he pleads to God, says this, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So, so it's a disastrous word. The people are mourning. God, Moses pleads with God. Um, if, if you don't go with us, you're going to send the junior varsity. You're going to send an angel. Um, it, it's not worth it. We're not going to go. And here's what Chester says. It's an extraordinary response. In some ways, Moses is offering the goal of his life's work, and he can have it without the obligation of being God's distinctive people. But knowing God and being his people is what really matters to Moses. God offers Moses everything without God, but God, but Moses doesn't want everything. He wants God, and so he declines the offer. The blessings of the promised land are secondary to the true blessing, which is God himself. We are not only saved from sin, but we are saved for God. So don't let this opening address to God. We're not even into the requests of the prayer yet. Don't, don't, don't lose it. Our Father. He's our Father. He is with us. We get him. God offers Moses the promised land without God, and Moses says, no, I don't want it. Do, 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 do you see God says, here, my, my angel, my promised land, but you're not going to get me. And Moses says, no, I don't want that. The Christian life involves a living felt experience of God. There is a real relating, a two-way relationship with giving and receiving, being loved and loving. And as you read the word, God speaks to you. And you grind the word into your soul. 
like a pestle and a mortar. You're grinding that wheat. You're grinding that coffee as, as they do in Ethiopia. You just grind that word into your soul. And then you sit down before God with a contrite and a lowly spirit. And you say, Father. You just say, Father. This, this is the only way you will ever truly change. It's, it's, it's not going to happen unless you just sit down before God and notice it's our Father. We, we do this in worship. Let the sermon grind its way into your soul. You, you could do it at home, but it, it seems to me that there's something about being together corporately where the word of God has, has, has been ground into the soul of the pastor. And then he has taken that grinding and that repentance and that what has happened to him and he pours out his soul to you. And he does that every week, by the way. The pastor pours his soul out. That's gone through, gone through the wonderful um, process with the spirit of God and the word of God and his own life. And then from the fullness of what it has done for him, he brings it to you. And then the same process happens with you. And so you can say, our father, you, you come to him in prayer. Um, there's, a, there's a text in Deuteronomy chapter four. Um, this is one of those that I found just several years ago. Deuteronomy 4.7. This is in the form of a question here. So I'm going to change the wording just a little bit. For what great nation, what, what group of religious people on the face of the earth is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Any other religion have a God? Well, their gods are no gods. But God is close to us. He's our father when we call upon him. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules, has a Bible, so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Who, who else has God's book? Who else has a father who's right there with us? Yes, yes, he's in heaven. Yes, he's transcendent and he's beyond us and he's above us. But at the same time, he's right there. What great nation is there? Look at verse 9. And so this warning comes. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Take care, beware, that what Christ has done for you on the cross never ceases to amaze you, and that, that you can actually you can actually call to him. And he's near to you. And you can say, Father. We can actually say, Father. We can actually read his words to us. And the Spirit takes those words and he, he makes them his, our own. He, he brings them through our minds and to our hearts and our lives and make them our own. And then we come to him and we say, Father. Father. We, I know you're in heaven. I know you're high and holy and lifted up, but you dwell with the contrite and the lowly. 
And, and now let's look at the first request, which in some ways we could almost say is the only request. The Lord's Prayer is divided into two parts. Three requests, the first three and the last three. So the first three, um, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are the first three requests. So far, we've just gotten to the introduction. The second three, um, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. So we got three and three. God loves to do this. He's divided the Ten Commandments in the same way. The first four commandments are Godward. I'm the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, that you, I, I am the Lord your God. No God's before me. Um, not my name in vain and keep the Sabbath holy. The first four commandments, the, the last six are manward commandments. But when they came to Jesus and asked him what the greatest commandment was, what he said is, love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So God does this. He divides these things into two, at, at least in these three instances, into two categories. So in the Lord's prayer, or his model prayer, the 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 first half, the first request is hallowed be thy name. And then every request after that follows and is based on that first request. Let me explain. When Isaiah saw the vision of God, Isaiah 6, remember that? Sees God high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. And what, what, what do the angels say? They say, you, you might turn back. It's a very interesting thing that they say. They call to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh. The whole earth is full of his holiness. Is that what it says? Looking for a head out there, somebody to say, no, that's not what it says. Good, good. Thank you. It says, the whole earth is full of his glory. Think it. Wait a second. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's a great song. So why should the earth be full of his glory? full of his holiness. His holiness is his, he's separate. He's, he's perfection. He's not like us. He's separate. He's in heaven. He's, he's, he's different. All those things are true of his holiness. So why does it say the earth is full of his glory? We kind of need to just let the holiness of God settle down on us for a little while. Um, the fact that God is holy um, should cause us to tremble. Because that's what it did for Isaiah, right? Man, I, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I've seen the Lord and he's holy and I'm in trouble. And, and then we have this picture of forgiveness um, and the touching of his mouth with the 
the burning coal, probably indicative somewhat of the sin that we sin, the things we say, but also of the commission that he's going to volunteer for. Um, let's not miss it. As soon as his sin is atoned for and he's blown away by the holiness, God says to him, I've got a mission. And Isaiah's like, you, yeah, me, I'll do it. I'll go. Yep. He's seen God's holiness. He understands the fact that the earth, for some reason we haven't covered yet, is full of the glory of God. But what has happened to him has caused him to say, mission of God, that's my mission. I'm going to do it. Yep. Need somebody? I'm here. I'm going to go. It's kind of reminiscent of Jesus saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it's reminiscent of the first request that Jesus instructs us to make as we address him as our father and our father. The prayer is, may your name, may the fame of who you are. When you read name, read fame. Your name is your reputation. May your reputation, may all that is known and true about you be made hallowed in all the earth. May your name be hallowed. May you be seen as holy and may you be seen as glorious in all that you are. Isaiah sees the holiness of God and understands that the glory of God is, I believe, his holiness made known. The earth is full of the glory of God because the glory of God, I believe, is the holiness of God made known. I hope you follow that. So when you are praying, hallowed be your name. May your name be seen as holy. We are also praying, may the glory of the holiness of your name be made known in all the earth. Look at the next two requests. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the earth be filled with the glory of God as, and your will be done here as it is in heaven. That is our first, and you might say our only and highest request, is that the glory of God would be made known in all the earth. May I know and understand you more and more for your grace and mercy and your glory. And again, the glory of God is most clearly seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. So when we're praying that the glory of God, that the holiness of God be hallowed in our hearts and the hearts of others, what we're praying for in germ, in its most concentrated form, is that the cross of Christ would be hallowed in my own heart as my chief and only love and desire that I have him and that the rest of the world would know 
and have that also. May your name be hallowed. It is the purpose of everything. There is nothing higher. I, I have many friends who are Star Wars junkies. I am not one of them. Um, I know there's Luke Skywalker and Spock. And I know that somehow Captain Kirk and Spock and some Jedis and Ben, I, I call my grandchildren potty wands. I know all that. And there's, there's all these movies and they all go together and they, one comes out and in chronological time and then another one comes out before that or the fourth movie comes out and it's really the first one. Um, I that's about all I understand. Oh, and there's Wookiees and there's a really irritating guy. What? Someone unmute yourself. Who's the really irritating guy? I can never remember his name. I can't hear. Jaja Binks. Jaja Binks. Oh, Jaja Binks. Oh, yes. So I, I think I've watched all of them. I'm not sure. But um, I don't really care. And, and I know it's exciting. And I know besides all that Star Wars stuff, and I really haven't figured out how Spock fits into all that, but I know he does somehow. Anyway, that I know there's also Marvel comics. There's Marvel characters out there. And there's Captain America. Is he a Marvel guy? Someone just, is he? Did I get that right? Cool. Yeah. And there's, um, there's a new one, um, Wonder Woman. And it's kind of taken our society by storm. And it's, it's because, I believe it's because we are made for the transcendent. These superhero stuff and this, this, this incredible stuff that's going on, it appeals to something deep inside of us. And, and I believe what it is. It, it, it's a very poorly designed fake of the true warfare and the true redemptive plan that has been worked out from the beginning of time in eternity past to eternity future, and we see the end of it in Revelation. It's God redeeming, reconciling the world to himself through King Jesus. That's what he's called us to. But if you're not in the warfare, if you haven't joined in the fight, truly joined in the fight at a visceral level, in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and in your daily activities, you, you search for a different kind of high. And that's what the Marvel stuff does for us. I know people who, they have trivia contests with other people who have watched these movies, I don't know how many times, but they know all the characters and they know how the whole thing fits. And they, 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 they it's just an amazing thing how it has gripped their hearts. And now, I, I may have just offended a lot of people. <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with watching those movies and there's nothing wrong with learning the details. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, 
if your heart is not captured by the Lord of heaven and earth and by the war that's going on right now, if your heart's not captured by it, but your heart is captured by something else, um, there's a chance it could not be right in your life. God, God needs warriors. God needs warriors for the fame of his name. And um, I, I know all that stuff is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not a junkie that way. I'm a, uh, my, my heart language is road biking. If, if uh, you do mission work or understand other countries, my, my second language is mountain biking. It's not my heart language. So I started out as a roadie. I ride a road bike and I race road bikes and I have all these friends who ride road bikes. I'm part of a club. And then I have, I, I got a mountain bike because my son-in-law mountain bikes and I wanna spend time with him. But now I have all these mountain bike friends too. So typically on Saturday mornings, I ride my road bike. I have all these non-Christian friends. And uh, so, I don't know, six weeks ago, I think, um, there was, I'm in a, I'm in a community group at our church and a lady in our group, her name is Mary. She's an older lady. She's from England. And so she has that cool accent and uh, she was moving. She was moving back East. Um, she's divorced. Um, and uh, she has a difficult family life, but a sweet, sweet lady. And she needed help moving. So our community group was going to help her move. And so, um, I got the call from um, Greg, are you gonna come help Saturday morning? And I read the text. I had gotten up early that morning to study. Actually, I was studying the Lord's Prayer that morning. Gotten up real early. I was studying, I got the text. Are you gonna be able to make it? And so I prayed about it. Um, as I usually do before I, I go to the gym, pray that I will have a significant um, interaction with either someone I know or someone new so that I can tell them about the king, the true king. <laughs> I can tell them how wonderful it is to be a Christian. So I prayed that morning. Either I ride with my road biking friends, and by the way, they're all non-Christians. There's one guy that's a Christian. Or do I go help Mary move? And, and you know how it is. You can get so bound up in doing church things that you don't have any non-Christian friends. That's just not right. Okay, so I sent um, him a text, uh, Scott, sorry, I think I called him Craig, that's his brother. So I sent Scott a text and I said, Scott, do you need me? And he said, no, I think we're fine. So I made a decision, I'm gonna ride with my road bike friends that morning. I trusted God that it was the correct decision to make, you know, um, connecting with my non-Christian friends. So, um, that morning, the ride starts at 7.30. I joined in on the ride and we're in the ride about 20 minutes. And I'm, there's about a hundred of us. It's a big group. Maybe you've seen, maybe Antelope Valley has groups of cyclists, but down here, there's about, there was about a hundred of us that morning. And um, I was about in the middle of the pack and I was talking with a doctor friend of mine. His name is Fred. What a bummer of a name for a cyclist. Anyway, his name is Fred. A Fred on a bicycle is someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Anyway, his name is Fred and I'm talking with Fred and there's two guys in front of us. Um, and one of them's name is Bill and the other guy's Theo. And they all call me Pastor Bob. And we had just taken a left. We're on Old Irvine. We're going about 15 miles an hour. We're cranking it up. 
and Bill just starts, his bicycle just kind of goes like this and he slumped over his bicycle and he hits the pavement, boom. I had to swerve to miss him, stopped and came back. Everybody stopped, came back and Bill is just there on the pavement, face down like this, just. So Fred starts CPR, the paramedics come and they do the, the paddles and they do all they're gonna do and they take him away. But Fred comes back and tells us um, that Bill probably died on the bike. That he slumped over his bike, died and just boom, hit the pavement. So the paramedics ask us to leave because there's all these guys and it's traffic. And um, so most everyone leaves, but about six of us, six or seven of us who knew Bill well, um, we stayed. And um, they've got this new machine that's doing the mechanical pumping on his heart. And um, the one guy I know that I ride with that's a Christian, his name is Ed, um, he stayed also. And um, I said to the six or seven guys, all of whom I've shared my faith with, I say to them, we should pray for Bill as they take him away. And here we are, two Christians and six or seven non-Christians, definitively non-Christians, are willing to pray. And I turn to my friend Ed and I ask him to pray because you know, I'm the professional and it really doesn't count as much because I'm supposed to pray. So I turned to Ed and Ed prayed for Bill's soul. He prayed for his health and he prayed in Jesus name. Um, we went home, Ed and I showered, went to the hospital. His wife and family were there. We were able to talk with them and show them that we cared for them. We, we weren't able to share the gospel. But I'm telling you, of the eight or 10 people that were there at the hospital mourning the loss of Bill, um, they knew Ed and I were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they knew that the Lord Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And, and they know we care. We know we care for Bill. We know we, he, we care for his family and that there's something different about us. And so I guess what I'm saying is um, the war may not be spectacular and um, I don't have too, actually too many stories like that. I, that's, that's a, it just happened. I mean, it's still fresh in our memories. Um, but, but here's what I say, open the word of God and pray and ask God to um, show himself to you. And then ask God that you would be an instrument. Ask your father if you would be an instrument for the hallowing of his name in all the earth. That people through you and, and who you are and your, your words of the gospel will come to know that there is a wonderful, wonderful savior and a heavenly father who dwells with the contrite and the lowly and that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ to save us. And there's nothing, there is nothing better in this life. And just pray and ask God for opportunities to do that. 
because that's what he's called us to do. That's why we're alive. That's why he's given us life and breath and homes and, and jobs. And he's given us happiness and electricity and songs to sing. And he's given us those so that his name would be hallowed in our hearts. And so that his name would be hallowed and his will would be done and his kingdom would come on this earth as it is in heaven. Make that your prayer. You can just shoot quick prayers up as you go to the grocery store, as you go to the gym, as you go to whatever meetings, as you go to work. Father, may, may I be able to hallow your name um, this day and, and share with others the greatness of who you are. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we want to give you thanks for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you that you are our Father. You're right, you're right here with us in mercy and in goodness and familial love. You are here. Um, and so, Father, we ask, I ask that you would use every one of us this week that your name would be hallowed and proclaimed and glorified in all the earth, at the grocery store, at work, at school, at home, in our neighborhoods. Um, and that, Father, you would move us, that you would move us to be those kinds of people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.